Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to what essentially is a bit of a bonus Inside Groove edition. This, we are still going to consider show 43, uh, because essentially most of the material is the same. So we're going to uh, keep the show number as 43. Obviously, we had a bit of an issue with the original version of this show, because Somewhere in the process of saving the master file, the Bill Shea interview got lost somehow. Probably something I did because I'm technologically dumb sometimes. Um, So I'm not sure what happened, and I apologize to Bill and apologize to all of you. However, I think I can redeem myself with this particular bonus show because this show could be subtitled what I did this weekend. And I want to just share uh, a bit about uh, my adventure. Those of you who know this, uh, who have been friends of this show or friends of mine uh, or friends of Larry Trinka's for a while, know that uh, the two of us are good friends and that uh, Larry had been on one of my earlier shows and gosh, I don't remember how long the interview was. It was at least a good hour, but we uh, we spent some some time kind of talking about his uh, introduction to Oswego Speedway and, of course, uh, Pete Trinka, his dad, and uh, all the time that he spent at the Speedway crewing for various people, and uh, he told some great stories. And so recently it came uh, to be that um, Larry and I had been in uh, a post some uh, commenting on a post somebody had some programs for sale and and Larry knew that I had been looking to add to my collection of 1970s Oswego Eagle programs and he uh he very generously offered to go through and uh allow me access to his doubles that he had so he and I um made an agreement and it was decided that he would uh, bring them over here the next time he came to Charlotte, or if I uh, got over to Tennessee, which I sometimes do uh, because I have friends there. If I was going over to Tennessee, I was welcome to to stop and and meet him and pick them up or whatever. So uh, I was looking for something this weekend to do to get out of house arrest, basically. <laughs> Um, here in North Carolina, and I I thought, well, what could I do as far as taking a car ride somewhere that, uh, you know, would be um, reasonable to do and maybe fun to do, hopefully. So uh, I decided to just hit Larry up, see what he was doing. And so uh, he was around, so uh, he was gracious enough to host me for yesterday which was saturday today is sunday as i'm taping this he was gracious enough to host me for 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 the day yesterday he and his wife wendy are wonderful people and uh i got a bonus yesterday 
when I got there because uh, Rich and Denise Hall, uh, Denise being Ronnie Wallace's daughter, um, stopped by as well. And I hadn't had the pleasure of meeting either one of them. So it was a fun afternoon just kind of sitting outside and, you know, you know, around the or proverbial campfire, I guess, even though we didn't have a fire, but uh, sitting outside in the circle, just hanging out, talking, racing and having a good time. And in the process of that trip and planning the trip, I realized that um, Tennessee actually is uh, a little bit ahead of the rest of uh, the country in common sense. And they're actually allowing haircuts. So um, you had to wear a mask, but that's fine. I suffered gladly for a few minutes for that and managed to um, get my hair did, as they say here in the South. Uh, while I was over there and I went to Larry's and we just had a blast. And, and I, I wanted to share that with you because uh came back with a nice box of programs, but here was the bonus for me. Here was the real bonus. Besides, um, I had a couple of bonuses. The first one was meeting Rich and Denise. The second bonus was being able to actually see the Joya Chevy. Um, and if, if you haven't been a longtime fan of the Oswego Speedway, you probably don't know specifically what I'm talking about. Larry has already completed um, the restore of Steve Joya's Baby Ruth car, Nestle slash Baby Ruth car, that came along um, at the end of Steve's career, toward the end of Steve's career. I think it was actually the last car he built for himself, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and I think it was the first one that Brian Sweeney had, if I remember Larry correctly. Um, so he had already completed that, and we, if you've been to a swig for the old timers the last couple of years, he brought it up. I think it was maybe two years ago. But uh, so I, I knew that car was there. However, some of you may not know that Larry is in possession of the actual Joya Chevy car that Steve won the International Classic with in 1976. And so I was able to get a, a first glance at that. And, of course, um, the body still needs to be built. He's got all of the sort of cardboard cutouts, if you will, for it and uh, templates and such. And um, But just being able to stare at that car and think back and, you know, the... the the most hardened superholics among you, among us, will understand what I'm talking about. You literally can sit and stare at one of these older supers and, and be transported. It's a time machine. And so many races, I remember Steve running in that car. So many. His first win in 75... His, um, uh, 76, I think, actually. His, um, he beat Norm Mackrath one night. Norm was driving the Windblad Flying Five. I remember that so clearly. Uh, was the best Norm ran in that car, I think, was that night. I don't think he ever ran really any better than he did that night in that car. Um, just, I mean, Steve was amazing, honestly. He... Uh, 75 was his first win. Now that I think back more clearly, I was trying to do this without researching here out of my head, and Larry and I didn't specifically talk about this, but uh, I do remember it being 75 because he and Jim Gray both got their first wins that year. They were the first two from Oswego 
to uh, win a super modified feature at the Speedway. And uh, but I, I can remember so clearly so many of, of his races with that car. And, of course, the classic and, you know, him leading the last uh, seven or eight laps. Freddie Graves had fallen out with the four wheel drive car and Steve and Gary Albritton and Johnny Logan were settling it amongst themselves. And Steve passed Gary and uh, never gave up the lead again and ended up winning the race in that car. And I can still I was young but i can still remember the mob in victory lane and larry kind of gave me some insight into that from his point of view and what that was like and um you know it was again just you know i remember jim cheney running that car in 79 in the classic and i was so happy to see him get a top five with it um you know that was after jim's fire in 77 and uh you know, he didn't have a lot of wins after that. He he won the first race back that he ran at Thompson Speedway in the Salveo 04 in 78 in the spring. That was his comeback, and he won that. And But, you know, at that point, the 04 was a little bit outdated at Oswego, and uh, so it kind of became for, you know, for Jim, it, it became a, a a long kind of skid, um, not to say he didn't run well, he just wasn't as competitive because by then the offset cars had started to duplicate and multiply. So to see Jim jump in that car, the Joya, Joya Chevy, the backup car by that time, because Steve had his own offset in 79, and go out and finish fifth, that was great. And uh, then, of course, Donnie Joya, I think the last to drive it, and was uh, his final race was the classic, I think, that year, and he... Again, a top 15, I think he was like 11th or 12th, like 12th or 13th, somewhere in there. Um, And that was in 1980. And so to look back across the years and just think and picture that car on the racetrack and all the great races that Steve ran, that car really was the car that uh, Steve really grew up in, so to speak. He started in, in the older Indy Roadster, but that car when he debuted it in 75 once they got it going he was just he was it was amazing to watch i remember he was so young he and eddie bellinger both i mean and and eddie b had the same kind of trajectory that steve did um obviously with uh with the gibson car and then later a show car copy of it um just uh just amazing so i really I can't thank Larry and, and Wendy enough, and, and I'm really, really uh, thrilled to have been able to meet Rich and Denise. And uh, it's interesting how they're kind of become clusters of people in different areas. When, you know, it, it, Ronnie Wallace Jr. lives not far from Larry as well. And so hopefully at some point, maybe a return trip over the summer, and we can get Ronnie involved and um Maybe we'll turn a mic on and and uh, or two and and do a show from Larry's. That would be fun, um, and can be easily done if everybody's willing. So Larry's hearing this for the first time. So if that's uh, if if you want to do it, Larry, we'll make it happen for sure. And I'd love to get Ronnie Jr. involved and talk about his dad's career a little bit. And if Denise wants to talk, she's welcome as well. Uh, you know, it's that's what this show's all about: sitting around talking racing. So, uh. I had a great time there, uh, just tickled for Larry to have this car and to be reworking it 
Um, he and I kind of discussed his timeline. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to give out any information. Uh, he didn't say that I could or couldn't, so I'm not going to. But um, the timeline he's got for debuting it at the Speedway makes sense. I'll put it that way. Um, and I'm sure it'll look quite spectacular. He did the same. He did a spectacular job with uh, with the uh, Nestle car, Baby Ruth car. Um, and I know he's going to do a fantastic job with this car. And just it just got us both thinking, really, about all the cars that were out there. And Larry's, <laughs> Larry's kind of gotten into, uh, you know, you have these sites where you can go back and trace your family history. Well, Larry has really done a great job of tracking down some some uh, chassis. And, of course, sometimes you don't get the answer you want because um, sometimes they're gone, but you can at least follow them to the to, to their end, so to speak. But uh, I had no idea how, you know, how much time he spent kind of getting into all that. And I think it's great. So uh, we'll definitely have, I know that uh, somebody, I think it was Robert Metcalf on Larry's Facebook page. I see I've been home. I'm recording this within an hour after I walked in the door from being over there. So um, when I realized that we had the mistake with uh, the Bill Shea portion of the show that we posted Friday night, I said, well, how can I fix this? Can I ju- do I just go ahead and, um, and, and put the corrected version up or do I start something brand new and just put the same segments in um, just to give people who have heard the other show and the Kenny Shepard segment uh, an opportunity to hear something different? I said, yeah, I got I to gotta do something new here because I wanted to talk about my trip to Tennessee and, and, and the time with Larry. And, um, it was it was great. We had a blast, and uh, it's it's just so much fun to be able to do that. And and uh, I'm thankful for it because uh, obviously for a lot of us, it's really been a long couple months of um, not being able to have any fun or do much of anything that's fun other than what you can do at home. <laughs> so for me, who likes to get out on the road once in a while and go somewhere, um, I'm very much a, a happy driver, so to speak, or a happy traveler on the road, especially this time of the year as the weather gets warmer. I love to be able to to be out in the car and travel, which is why, you know, driving a, an entire day to Oswego, for example, for a race is not a big deal for me. Um, I love it. It's therapy. It, uh, it refreshes me and gives me a chance to meditate on some things. If there are decisions I'm trying to make business-wise or whatever, it gives me a chance to really kind of put some deep thought into them without uh, interruption or uh, just gives me a chance to throw some music on, and uh, which, is, of course, is the ultimate time machine, isn't it? For all of us, we can put a song on from our youth, and instantly we're back there, and it feels like just like it did when... Um, when when we uh, first heard the song and we can kind of see it and smell it and whatever, you know, and, and picture it as if it was happening again. That's what I've always loved about music. So that was fun. So thank you, Larry and Wendy. And, and uh, uh, thanks to Rich and Denise for dropping by. Uh, thank everybody for their hospitality. And I cannot wait to see the Joya Chevy back in its uh, classic livery, that is where Larry has decided to go with this. I think it's perfect. 
Um, you know, there were subtle changes from year to year on the car as far as the body and such, but uh, Larry wanted to do it um, in the classic livery, and I'm glad he did. So it, it is being restored to its 1976 livery, and I'm sure that um, Steve will be just as pleased with this car when Larry gets it done as I think he was with the uh, with the uh, Baby Ruth car. So uh, that was what I did this weekend, folks, and <laughs> I hope that uh, hope you all get something out of that. <laughs> but this show is really uh, again, it's about the connections and the friendships and and the legends of the sport, and uh, got the chance to, like I said, take a trip back in time a long, long way to when I was you know, eight, nine, ten years old, and Steve was racing that car. And, um, you know, that was, uh, again, some of his best years uh, in that in that car, which they built themselves. It was the first, first uh, one that I think they ever built themselves, or at least the first one that Steve drove that they built themselves. So um, lots of fun there. Uh, as far as the show goes, again, I'm still considering this show 43, um, and we'll just call it show 43 corrected version, if you will. Um, we are going to have Bill Shea next from Utica Rome Speedway. Again, if you didn't hear the, the previous version of the show, um, I decided this past week to put together for my lead lap show that I do on Monday nights. I decided I had the notion that I wanted to get a couple of promoters since we are now going back to NASCAR racing without fans and you know, our sports trying to sort of get restarted again. I wanted to go back and reach out to some short track promoters so that those of you who listen to this show and are thinking, well, how is a swigger or you know, whatever your favorite short track is, how can this happen? How can this work? What can we do? Um, is there really any chance? And of course, every area is a little different. So on the lead lap show last Monday night, I had two promoters. We had uh, Steve Beitler from the Skagit Speedway up in the Pacific Northwest in the state of Washington. And then from California, from Madeira Speedway, which is formerly a super modified track, by the way. Those of you who have uh, been super modified fans a while may remember that. Um, Kenny Shepard. And Kenny is truly one of the most innovative promoters that I've ever met. And what I decided to do after that show was over when I was thinking about this show, I said, well, I wanted to have a, a reason to put Kenny Shepard's first segment from Monday night's lead lap show into this show, into this week's inside groove. And, and I thought, well, why don't we do the same type of promoters theme? Because obviously all of the super modified tracks and the tracks that this audience cares about are trying to find the way so I'll go ahead and put Kenny in, but why don't I get somebody from New York who would be in the same relative situation, for example, that a Swiggo Speedway would. So Bill Shea, who was a, is a longtime fan of the Oswego Speedway, um, and a former car owner, his son Justin ran limited supers for a few years back in the 90s. And... I was fortunate enough to be a part of that crew for the first uh, couple of seasons. Um, Bill now owns Judica Rome Speedway. He bought it a few years ago. And so I thought, well, why don't I reach out to Bill? Bill is also a former boss of mine. I worked for him at Ferris Industries for a while. 
and just he's probably he's about the only boss maybe with the exception of um bob stapleton at shimung speedrome who i had a great time working with as well uh bill's about probably with the exception of bob bill is probably the only boss that i would really wish i was back working for again um because i just appreciate him that much but uh any rate um we we ended up getting bill and so if you listen to the show either friday or yesterday uh you didn't hear bill because again we had some sort of probably a a tom glitch but uh, i'm just going to call it a technical glitch because honestly i don't know what happened (laughs) um i had had the show together in its entirety and i don't know if i didn't save that version and ended up just with um you know using i i don't know what i did but i'm I'm gonna say i did it either way it's my fault because my show and i'm in charge uh we had an interview with bobby weber jr that we did and that one was not my fault that was a software issue um that interview is still stuck in cyberspace somewhere and i feel terrible about that because bobby was a great guy and i'm and and really gave me a great interview he's the um obviously uh from star speedway and so uh hopefully we'll be able to get bobby back uh as soon as possible and and we'll let you hear from him because we we much like i did with bill we kind of went we we talked about the reopening part of it and all of the challenges and such that that bobby has up there but we also talked a little bit about some other things as well so you know as did bill and i so we will have um Bill Shea, he's going to be coming up next. And then we will have Kenny Shepard. And I put Kenny, I'm I'm putting this back in. If you heard the show Friday or Saturday and you heard Kenny Shepard, then you can simply stop after uh, Bill's done if you want. Or if you want to hear Kenny again, feel free. But here's the master point of all of this. Those of you who know track promoters, short track promoters, I don't care where they are um what track it is asphalt dirt it doesn't matter if it's a local track of any type go-kart it doesn't matter uh the kenny shepherd the reason i'm kind of driving kenny kenny's first segment home here kenny was able to through ingenuity and understanding of the political process Kenny was able to put together a way to restart Madeira Speedway that could be very helpful for other short tracks. So if you know a short track promoter of any type or a road course, I mean, any any track that's not NASCAR or any I'm talking about local tracks, local regional tracks that would be considered sports venues and not be allowed to open while the state shut down. There's a way. And Kenny reveals the way. And so it it may not work for everybody, but it's certainly an interesting uh thing that Kenny did. And so I want you to share it with the track promoters. That's why we're doing this. Um if if you want, just send them the link to the show and tell them, look, it's the last interview, uh, you know, in the show. Um, but you can listen to the whole show if you want. Uh, but I wanted to, to, I was debating whether I should just put bills in and call it show 44, but I didn't feel right about doing that. 
because I screwed up. So I said, look, I'm just going to do show 43, take two. And uh, <laughs> those of you who haven't heard it, you're hearing this as the first show you're hearing of the week. Good. Uh, if you heard the show Friday or Saturday, that's okay. All of this is new, obviously. Bill will be new. And then, you know, feel free to stop if you don't want to hear Kenny again. So that's that's how this is rolling here. Um, again, thanks to Larry Trinka and everybody over there in East Tennessee. That was an absolute uh, blast and um, very uh, refreshing and nourishing to be able to go over there and, and uh, just sit and have a conversation with friends and have some fun for once uh, in this um, situation. So uh, we're going to be back. I promise Bill Shea is coming up next. <laughs> we're going to be right back after this with Bill Shea. Hang on. Everyone knows Strutmasters is the suspension experts for luxury vehicles, and now we offer motorcycle products. Introducing Easy Rider, complete motorcycle air suspension brought to you by Strutmasters.com. You can raise and lower your bike with the flip of a switch. Take those long rides with the ultimate comfort of Easy Rider air shocks. They're backed by Strutmasters, and you won't believe the low price. Check out Easy Rider Motorcycle Air Suspension at strutmasters.com. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we continue with our uh, special edition this week. Uh, we are now going to talk about race promotion and how in the world uh, a short track race promoter deals with a situation like we have right now with uh, the virus, the pandemic, all of that. Uh, and the fact that um, many states are on lockdown or on a phased reopening at this point. And uh, Bill Shea has graciously uh, given us a little bit of his time here to talk about uh, what he's dealing with in New York State with um, his uh, track, Utica Rome Speedway. And first of all, Bill, I, I know a lot of our um, a lot of our Oswego Speedway audience will remember you uh, from your time at Oswego with uh, your oldest son Justin in the limited division. We'll get to that in a bit, but uh, uh, tough situation right now. Of course, you. Uh, we're uh, getting ready to open, and uh, suddenly we have a situation now where it seems like there are numbers of obstacles. Um, talk a little bit about where you are at right now with regard to Utica Rome Speedway, uh, because you're dealing with, obviously, all of the same challenges from a state government standpoint and even local government standpoint that, uh, for example, Oswego Speedway would be. So talk about how you see this situation right now and what you think the biggest challenges are going to be uh, for your track and other tracks in the uh, central New York area to kick their season off this year. Okay. Well, right now we, the biggest challenge is we're non-essential. You know, they, they, they look at us as just pure amusement and, um, you know, just plain non-essential. We, we, we've been told that, you know, racing is not essential right? and you're on the back burner and been told that by local politicians and, uh, you know, state politicians. So, you know, our argument has been we, but you know, if it affects somebody's livelihood, it's essential. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's a lot of 
not a lot of drivers, but there are drivers that race for a living. Sure. And we have a few of them that come to our track. They race for a living. There are the parts businesses that, you know, are totally dead right now. Yeah. Um, we don't sell tires at the track. We rely on uh, a third party to do that for us. But I know he bought like 400 tires in March, you know, to get ready for the track. And guess what? Or to get ready for the season. And guess what? He's got 400 tires in stock. I mean, he's tied to yeah. cash. And, you know, so... You know, and then Mike Walton, he, he does a lot of business with shocks and suspension and so on. Sure. I was talking to him about it, and he's totally dead. I mean, there's just nothing going on. The engine builders are, are sitting idle. Um, so it is essential. There are people that, you know, and they're self-employed, all these people are. Yeah. Um, including, like, my wife, she is... Uh, she runs the track. She does all the administrative um, work over there. And she can't apply for unemployment because she is self-employed. So, you know, she can, she can apply, but she gets denied. Yeah. And uh, so there is zero income. So we're kind of trying to fight it from that angle. Um, also, you know, we have, we can seat 5,500 people. Um, at the speedway in the grandstands and we can practice social distancing. You know, we can put a thousand people in the stands and still practice social distancing. Sure. Um, we're blessed with, um, huge pit area. We can, uh, you know, change it up as the way we usually do it, but we can park trailers and give, you know, six foot, eight foot, 10 feet, feet between trailers and put people in the pits. So we've sent proposals, we've sent drawings, we've done just about everything we can do um, to our local politicians, our uh, state politicians, and county. And, you know, the county and local town politicians are very supportive. They'd like to see us go because... Um, We've always demonstrated that we're good neighbors. You know, we try to get down early. Um, we do whatever the town asks us to do, so there's never any issues. And, uh, you know, they understand that that we could do this probably and not, not have any issues at all. But it all comes down to what Governor Como has to say. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're all trying to get to Governor Como, but they're, you know, he's New York City, man. Yeah. Um, it's it's different than upstate New York. Everyone thinks New York is New York City, and it is not. We live up here where there's probably a bigger cow population. Than there is, uh, <laughs> People, right? You know, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, having lived up there uh, for a little while, I can I can uh, back that up. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a tough it's a tough situation because on the one hand, you know, obviously everybody wants to do the right thing and everybody wants to make sure that everybody's safe and nobody wants to be the cause of, you know, any sort of, of situation or issue. But, um, you know, we, I, I guess you look at it and you say, well, the virus is spreading. You know, we can say, well, the lockdown helped. Well, but the virus kept spreading. So 
it's one of those situations where how do you try and um, create a, a, an environment that's as as safe and as low risk as possible? Zero risk, unfortunately, is impossible. I mean, and that's been true forever and ever long before this virus showed up. So um, it becomes, you know, how do you put put the best situation, uh, you know, possible together and as you say if you could social distance the pits and you could social distance the grandstands you know the 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 biggest challenge is uh you know getting these uh, these these politicians to understand that um you know these local you're you're a local business i mean you know people think about sports think about football they think about 50,000 people in a you know, or NASCAR or, you know, whatever, where you have these massive crowds, concerts, you know, a local racetrack that seats 5,500 people is a local business that employs local people and pumps a lot of local, you know, a lot of money into the local economy. And, um, you know, w- without those businesses, and of course, as you said, you went through, you know, four or five different types of businesses that depend on your business for their business to succeed. And, uh, you you really take a a big chunk out of your your local economy when you're not running. So, um, what specifically are you being told as to why you can't open? Is it a matter of uh, we don't want any people? I mean, it, it can you open without fans and run a race without fans if you had to? I cannot. I. Uh... I'll tell you, I looked at several different scenarios and to pay the purses that that the drivers want to be paid, which right. are, you know, 20 years old, you know, I, I'll, I'll admit the purses haven't gone up with, with what's, what's happened over the years. And, you know, I, I see a lot of stuff on social media that promoters are getting rich. Well, trust me, they're not getting rich no. in any way, Absolutely shape or form. Not. I mean, the insurance is incredible. Um, we pay a ton for insurance. Just the maintenance on a dirt track is, is incredible. I mean, it cost us, Oh, I'm going to tell you what in just hard costs, it costs us $2,500 to open the gates. Yeah. And that's just hard costs of getting the track ready. Um, getting the concessions ready. Um, you know, as we start the season, there are so many startup costs that you have. You have your down payments for your for your insurance coverage for the year. Sure. Um, everything else. And I just can't see right now the way pay-per-view is set up, um, the way we do it. And we do it every Sunday night with Dirt Track Digest TV. Right. But we split. We, we charge the ticket price to come in. And we split it three ways. Um, we get a third. Dirt Track Digest gets a third. And then the provider of the internet gets a third. Right. So, you know, we're selling one ticket and getting a third of it. And probably three or four or five people are watching it where I would have three or four or five tickets sold, you know. Yeah. And it's just, I do it because we look at the demographics. And there's a lot of people that are buying it that are not in this area and they wouldn't be here anyways. Right. And it's always, you know, and I've gotten a lot of uh, emails and messages from people that thank us for it and, and it's good. But if it's, 
you know, if it looks like rain out, um, if it's cloudy and the National Weather Service says there's 50% chance or more of rain, we see our numbers go down and, uh, you know, the TV audience goes up because they're not going to make the trip out here for, um, to get you know, rain yeah. out. Yeah. It's that simple. So, you know, it's, it's a tough one, but I can't do a pay-per-view and, you know, make it sustainable and make money on it. Yeah, it's, it, it is a tough deal. And, and especially, as you say, if you're getting a third of the revenue, uh, you know, that means if, as you say, if it looks like rain and, you know, and somebody stays home who would ordinarily go to the track, you lose two thirds of their money plus whatever money you lose uh, uh, for what they would, you know, buy at the concession or whatever. So um, I don't think a lot of fans really understand the costs involved in running a racetrack. And, and that's what makes this kind of a situation so difficult is you want to open and you want to do the right thing by the drivers and the teams and those who obviously um, have businesses that, that benefit from the track racing. But at the same time, you know, you, you can't afford to lose two thirds of, of a ticket price, uh, you know, just trying to do that. I mean, that's just not, that's not sustainable. And so it's, it's gotta be really difficult for you to try and, you know, and figure out what, especially when it seems like every day there's new information and somebody's moving the goalpost on you, you know, well, it looks like we may open up on this date and then the next day, well, no, we're, you know, um, I mean, what, what seems at the moment as best you can tell us what seems realistic for, uh, for you based upon what you know now? I mean, do you, can you see um, the, the track opening, say, in June? Um, we- well, I was, I, I was pretty sure that, you know, this is going back a couple weeks ago, yeah. that we were, uh, we were going to open Memorial Day, and if not Memorial Day, um, 4th of July. We'd definitely be, be open by the 4th of July, but I was hoping for Memorial Day weekend would be the kickoff. And, uh, you know, now the governor has shut down the state fair. Yeah. I don't know if he's officially done it or if he's talking about it, but that's his baby. Yeah. And, you know, that's out in the end of August and the beginning of September. And I'm going, holy cats, is that what we, you know, do we have to wait for that? And we can't get any answers. That's the biggest problem. You know, yeah. we we reach out. But I understand what they're going through, too. Of course. You know, it's not just uh, racetracks they're working on. I mean, there's flower shops that can't open. Right. Yeah, Lowe's, Home Depot, Walmart, all these guys that have food, they can sell flowers, too. Yeah. And, you know, they're, these flower shops are losing their customers maybe forever. Yeah. To the big box stores. And... I'm going, wow, this is just crazy what's going on. And you know what it is, Tom? I'm I'm going out on a limb saying this, but, uh, you know, these guys that are making all these decisions just haven't worked in business. They're career politicians. Well, that's and, true in a lot of cases, yeah. 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 And, you know, I get so frustrated with it. 
Well, yeah, because they, it, you know, it really comes down to just not understanding your customer. And, and again, nobody wants to be insensitive here. Nobody's saying that this virus doesn't exist. Nobody's saying it isn't a, a, a very dangerous virus for, for, for uh, a, a lot of people, a, 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 you know, a subgroup of our, you know, society. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a catch 22, but at the same time, I think, you know, those who who are in business understand that we just can't sit around forever and hide because, you know, as we've seen, even though we've been on lockdown, the death toll keeps going up and the virus keeps spreading. And the more we test people now, the more we realize that, you know, so many more people have had this thing. Well, um, I think they've had know, it and don't even know. Right. That's what I'm saying. And yeah. so, you know, what we realize is that, you know, we can say, well, the lockdown maybe kept hospitals in certain areas from being overrun. And that that could be true insofar as it goes. But we also can can conclude just by by running the numbers that, you know, the deadliness of it is certainly far less than what we thought. So at some point you want to find the way to kind of get back going again um you know and and a a racetrack is such a it's a tough situation and and we're going to a little later in the show here we're going to play um an excerpt from an interview i did on my lead lap show monday night with uh kenny shepherd from madeira speedway who ended up working with uh the politicians to get his track reclassified from sports and entertainment venue to recreational facility which kind of equates him now with the golf course for example um so if you're going to reopen golf courses he can now reopen his racetrack of course that there there is a um a caveat to that you can't just simply reopen and and let all your fans back in right away you got to phase that in um but you know it it He's a, he's a promoter who's found a way to kind of work within the system to at least get something going, uh, and it's it's just got to be tough. I mean, at what point, Bill, do you look at this? And and again, we're, we're looking at the situation in New York State, um, you know, and working within whatever system's going on there, whatever you know Cuomo is doing. At what point do you look at this and say? I just can't open in 2020. I have to sit dark until 21 because there's just no path for me to be able to open in a way that allows me to even break even, let alone, you know, make any kind of a, of a profit out of this. At what point does that, does that enter your mind? Well, it's, it's already entered my mind. I mean, I've talked to other promoters that, that are pretty sure that 2020 is out the door. Um, I'm holding out because I want to, I want to race. Yeah. And you know, if, you know, figure out a way to race and do it safely, be responsible. Um, because we are responsible. I mean, I, I'm not, I take this seriously. Um, you know, having a few health issues myself, I, I, I don't like seeing people sick and, you know, I don't want to be the reason they get sick, but, uh, I think that there's where there's a will, there's a way. I've always been optimistic, and I think we can get something going here in 2020. Um, you know, we still have expenses. We have taxes. We have, yep. you know, insurance and, and everything else. So I'd like to recoup some costs to at least pay that. Um, you know, it's it's hard. Um, 
you know, we got school taxes coming up and they're going to be like $18,000. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And then I have a mortgage payment, which the mortgage payment is a mortgage payment. But, you know, I look at school taxes as operating costs. I mean, that's yeah, what it's for sure. What, what you have to have. And, you know, then there's, you know, the insurance, um, you know, on the buildings and the grandstands yep. and, and everything else that's there. And you just go, wow, I've at least got to make some kind of money. Now, one thing we do have that gives me hope is we have um, a concert every year. We usually have at the beginning, the end of May or the beginning of June. It's called Frog Fest. And it, we work with a local radio station to put it on. And it's always a huge event for us. We do awesome. very well at it. They canceled um, the May date that we had. It was going to be the end of the weekend after Memorial Day. Okay. And they canceled it, and they rescheduled it for September. And I'm like, okay, you, you know, they called us. Can we do this date? Blah, blah, blah. We went through the whole thing and amended the contract. And um, I said, what makes you think you can go in September? We're going to be able to go in September. Um, we've booked the acts, and we've been assured by local government that this will be over with and we'll be able to go by September. Interesting. So if that's the case, you know, um, maybe we could open up a little ahead of that and get something in in August. That would be cool. Um, but, you know, I'm still holding out for Memorial yeah. Day or 4th of July. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I'm an optimist, and we'll see what happens. Well, and you've got, I'm assuming that your plans that you submitted, you've got, um, you've built in ways to make sure that, you know, you've got one uh, entrance into the grandstand, one entrance into the pit area, and you're taking everybody's temperatures or doing whatever it is that, you know, the the health department would require you to do, which obviously, um, you know, there's there's some sort of a cost for all that, I'm sure, as well, but it's something that's going to be necessary. Are, you know, are you going to require masks and all of that? I mean, what is, you know, when if, if, if Utica Rome is allowed to reopen, what would that look like in terms of not only a fan experience, but a competitor or a team experience as well? Well, what we've told them is, you know, we're, we're fenced in. We can lock down, um, you know, the whole facility. And so what we would do is exactly what you just mentioned is, you know, one entrance into the grandstands. Right. Um, we would take temperatures, masks would be required, and we'd do social distancing in the grandstands. We'd only let so many in, and we'd advertise that before the race that, you know, this is how many people are going to be allowed. And then, uh, you know, as far as the pits are concerned, um, we have one entrance and one exit. We can make it so we can get in and out of the pits. Um, and we would, you know, social distance in there. We put somewhere between eight and 10 feet between haulers, um, spread them around the pit area. And then, uh, you know, four people per car, um, we would allow. Now that's, you know, counterintuitive, counterproductive because, um, you know, pits, you get a lot of people on the pits. Oh, sure. And, yeah. Uh, and it's back you know, gate revenue. We're going to have to limit what we put in there. Right. So, you know, that's what we propose. Um, yeah, my wife has a, has a whole proposal. She's, she's on top of this, not me. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, she's at work right now trying to figure out how we can go racing. And, um, but I know those are some of the proposals that we've submitted and our local politicians, like I said, are all over it. They're, I think they'd let us open this weekend, but they've got to wait for the word from the governor right. before they can. Yeah. That's the hard part is you really, what it comes down to is you have the local, and this is true anywhere, obviously, uh, where, you know, the, the, the local government or, or the local politicians realize the impact that all of this is having on their particular piece of the overall economy. And, you know, at the state level, they're just, you know, they don't have that same level of concern for a particular region or any particular region. They're kind of looking um, at big picture. And um, sometimes I guess they may be kind of looking at their own agenda, too. But I, I think in, in New York's case, it feels um, it, it feels even more frustrating because you realize and, and it's much like California in this sense um, you realize that there there's a metropolis there's a there's a a, a city that that's in, the, in new york city is is you know they've been the kind of the hub of this whole thing um and you know you're kind of punishing the entire state for new york city and you know when maybe you ought to be looking at treating different areas of the state differently uh according to their own situations and giving your, you know, your uh, local and regional leaders more of a, uh, you know, an opportunity to make their own decisions and, um, you know, and, and, and get open, even if New York city is staying locked down. But yeah, that's, uh, it's gotta be hard, man. I, when I heard that Cuomo was looking at canceling the state fair, I mean, that's a, that's a that is one of the largest, if not the largest, money makers for the state, and of course for you know the Central New York region, Syracuse area, you know economy um, in and of itself, and and you know when you make a statement that you know we have to have the whole state open and and fully functioning before we can have the state fair. Wow, I mean New York City six hours away. I'm not sure I yeah. understand the the. The, the science behind that, um, you know, you put security in place, you take temperatures and you do what you got to do. But uh, it's um, it, it's certainly a challenge. And, uh, you know, I, I I wish you all the luck in the world with that. Uh, and I know, uh, obviously, you've been around. You grew up going to Utica, Rome, and, and this is really your baby. This is, um, you know, this is what you enjoy doing. And you've been a race fan forever and been involved in the sport for a good while, uh, you know, brought your kids up in it. And, uh, of course, um, you know, you and you had the, the limited super for Justin for a number of years at Oswego. And I know, um, you, you had a really good time with that back in the nineties. Talk about, uh, maybe a memory or two or what you remember about those years and what you enjoyed the most. You know, I enjoyed most. I, I used to go to, I went to Utica Rome every Sunday. Yep. And every Saturday, this is before we had a race car, every Saturday to us we go. And I went, you know, this was through the 80s and the early sure. 90s. And um, I'll never forget when uh, I always looked at us we go as the palace. I mean, that sure. place was just awesome. You went up there and you watched Eddie Bellinger and, and Bentley Warren, and I mean, you know all the names. Oh, I, I'm not going to go through them. I forget them all. But I, I mean, <laughs> it's just there. It was awesome racing, and uh, 
I thought, man, someday I want to race up here. Well, you know, I was married young and had kids that didn't have any money. And finally, by the time my kids grew up, I had enough money to get a, a limited super. And yeah. I'll never forget driving through the tunnel the first day, towing it in. I think you might have been with me, Tom. Yeah, I think I was. I mean, it Actually. was like my heart was pounding 100 miles an hour. And yep. I was like, oh, man, we're here. Yep. It was like going through the tunnel at Daytona. Yeah. And uh, I still have, I mean... I get to I don't get to Oswego as much as I'd like to because um Saturday usually doing track prep for Sunday sure. at the track. But I get up there as much as I can and you know, I love the supers, I love the racetrack. It's just uh that's my favorite place to go. Even yeah. though I own a track, I love getting away and going up there. Well, so. and, you know, again, just the, you know, the passion that you have for the sport. And, and, and I bring that up to say that, you know, a situation like this, it's 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 got to be just gut wrenching for you, because on the one hand, you like I said, you don't want to be insensitive. You want to you, know, you want to do the right thing um, for the situation. But at the same time, you know, you want to get open and go racing and do the right thing by all the people who've supported you and, and allowed you to be in the position that you're in. Um, and that has got to be a really difficult uh, crossroads to stand at uh, when you're sitting here in, you know, the beginning of the month of May, which traditionally in that part of the country is kind of when everything starts to wake up racing wise. Yeah. It is, and it, it here. Here's what's tough about it is we had, um, this is our sixth, I believe our sixth or seventh year of owning the track, and the first three years we did we did pretty good there. I mean, we were we didn't make any money, but we were close to making money, and that's all I really give a crap about. Right. Um, we were reinvesting. I I spent. Um, Damn near a hundred thousand dollars on clay over two years. Wow! And you know, I mean, it just there's just so much maintenance people don't understand. And I was able to reinvest back into the track. Kim and I have never taken a penny out of the track. Um, we have not. She has not drawn a wage out of there. I have not drawn a wage or any type out of there yet. We spend all our time there, and. Uh, so what we did was, you know, we were we were on a five-year plan that was, you know, going to, you know, make it a little more um, profitable. We right. were able to get um, a couple of big races like um, Tony Stewart's um, group. All-Stars, up, we had yep. a, You know, real nice sprint car race there for, for his All-Stars. And, you know, we had a good crowd. Everything was great. And then we started getting three years of rainouts. Yeah. Um, oh boy, did you ever? Yeah. And we wound up running um, eight or nine. One year we ran eight point races. Another year we ran nine. And then last year we ran nine. We had three in a Jeez. row that were really, you know, bad because of the weather. And there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. And, you know, I thought 2020 was going to be the year that we'd break out of that because how many years in a row can that happen? Yeah, know? really. And uh, I thought 2020 was going to be the year where we're going to break out of that. And then we get, you know, slapped with the old COVID-19 and you just go, 
Well, you know, I've been in business for a long time, and you really you get to see, you know, how good you are when your back's against the wall and and everything's against you. So, you know, I I've been through this before, and you know, we're going to survive this. There's no doubt about it. But uh, it's just it's frustrating, and you know, I think the thing that's most frustrating about it is you read social media and. You know, you you listen to the fans talk about, you know, how crappy the show was, and you know the promoters are getting rich, and yeah. this is going on, and they've got to pay more purses, and they've got to do this, and they've got to do that. Trust me, I want to pay more purses. I want to do it all, but you know, I I don't think I should work seventy hours a week at my other job to pay the purses. Well, you know, you know. That's, well, and that's exactly right. I mean, and I think obviously there are a lot of fans. I mean, I, I, I anybody that's known me longer than five minutes knows that if nothing else, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what I think, whether you know you, you want to agree with it or not. And agreement's never required. And my, my, my statement to that is there are an awful lot of ignorant fans that are out there, yeah. and and I don't, you know, again, it's not necessarily about well, you know, he may be really smart at math but he he just isn't very good at understanding how racing works and how tracks work you know the fans are ignorant to the process they think well you know it should be easy to pay a bigger purse well you know yeah. the purse hasn't changed in 20 years well but but <laughs> there's a reason for that i mean you know if we could put 10,000 more people in the grandstands we could double the purse and everybody would be really happy you well know, you know and not only that Tom. But it brings sponsors when you can do that. Right. You know, exactly. I mean, when you've got half full grandstand, the sponsors are going, okay, tell me again how many, you know, yeah. it's the same people every week. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just not getting my my bang out of it. Now, this year is a perfect example. Um, Kim Hustle went out and got, you know, a bunch of sponsors. Everything was going along good. And then March came. And guess what? We don't have probably... 25% of our sponsors have paid what they said they were going to pay for the year. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm certain that it's just plain gone away and we haven't hassled them because their businesses are closed. Well, that's the hard part. Right. Yeah. People, you know, yeah. So we're going to, I mean, we're not going to get the sponsorship this year that we thought we were going to get. And, you know, I'm worried about cars. Yeah. You know, I wonder yeah. if they're going to get the sponsorship that they thought they were going to get. Well, and that's what happens is as the track promoter, you're looking going, okay, well, my sponsorship's going to be down. Attendance will probably be down in at least the first few shows if we can open and get fans in the stands because a certain quantity of them are going to be a little nervous, right? And then you're looking at the teams going, well, if the teams don't get sponsors and, and we know that, you know, X percent, and it's by far the largest percentage, right? Um, you know, certainly higher than 50, you know, are all working class people who have to work to make money to pay for their race cars you know now how many teams can't race or can't race a full schedule because they lost their job and can't they don't have tire money and can't get the sponsors and then of course you're worried about all the businesses that are connected to you you know the mike waltons of the world who you know and the motor guys or whoever you know it's just again it spirals down and um so i think i think the the fans need to really understand that this 
even in a normal year, track ownership, track promotion is not an easy game, and nobody is getting rich off of, I guarantee even Tony Stewart is not getting rich at Eldora. He's putting all of it back into those big, high purses, but Tony's, Tony doesn't have to worry about that track being, you know, uh, super, super profitable. If he can pay his staff and do what he has to do, that's, you know, it's it's a different situation for Tony Stewart at Eldora than for the Teresis at Oswego or Bill Shea at Utica Rome. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's this year, I think fans really need to, uh, understand that whatever races you get, you better go support them because the tracks are going to need all the help that they can get to kind of get back to zero so that you can go into 21 in a, in a better situation. Because I feel like the longer this goes before you can open, the more it's actually going to affect 2021 as well. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's just um it's you know, it's a it's a tough situation. Well we certainly uh like I said, we wish you the best, Bill, and, and uh we're looking forward to following the progress. Uh dot com is the website and of course follow them on social media and if you're if you're an Oswego fan and you haven't been to Utica Rome, what in the world is wrong with you for crying out loud? Take a Sunday night and go up there once they open and can put fans in the grandstand and, and go watch the uh, the show. There's some great dirt track racing that goes on up there on Sunday nights. Uh, and Bill and Kim have worked their tails off to uh, to really make Utica Rome a nice place to watch a race as well as a nice place to go racing and um, you know, look forward to uh, hopefully getting up there at least once this year. I try to, uh, when I can sneak into town and stay a little longer than usual, I try to try to get to a Sunday night show. So hopefully we'll see you at least once or twice this year at the track. And, um, you know, we just, uh, we wish you the best, man. We appreciate you taking some time to, to come on and talk to us on Inside Groove and uh, know that you've been a past uh, a Swiggo Speedway team owner and, you know, longtime fan and supporter. Um, so, uh, again, we just uh we hope that 2020 uh irons out uh as best it can for you and that you can get open soon and um get cars in the racetrack and and uh start doing what you love to do because i know that uh, you're at your happiest when you're able to be on a piece of machinery working the track in during the week and um you can only do so much of that when the track's closed right i mean it's kind of uh you know you you're doing it now prepping for opening day uh but yeah. I, I know you'd rather be doing it each week in between races. So. Yep, you're right. All right, buddy. Hey, yes. Do you have enough time for one more story? Oh, of course. We'll make the time. Yeah. Here, we love here stories. We go. I gotta, you asked about memories at Oswego. Um, I guess my, my, uh, my favorite memory of racing up there was, uh, I can't remember the year. But we're, it was Classic Weekend, and we had qualified – pretty good we won our heat race and uh you know of course that was run during the daytime yeah and you know i don't know what they did they had some sort of draw and we wound up starting like six and i was like pretty excited the car was going pretty good but now it's dark and we got to make adjustments to the car and i'm going well what do you think justin what do we do here and, you know, of course, him and I got in a disagreement about what we should do. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I made the adjustments that he wanted. And within, I think on lap 12, he took the lead. 
And I was like, oh, my God, this thing is working. And uh, he let it till it was a 50-lapper, and he let it till like, lap 48, and there was a caution. And I was like, we might win this thing. You know, I in fact, I had already figured we were going to win it. And then the caution comes out, and Dean Hogue is behind us. Yeah. Um, he's second, and Russ Brown is third. And I was like, oh, man. Well, sure as heck, um, you know, Dean, he's as good as they get um, at the time. Dean gave him a little bump on the restart, and he had to back out of it. Just enough for Dean to go by him. Yep. And uh, and then Russ goes by both of them. And so now we're running third, and we get back. We wound up finishing third, I think, that night, and it was it was outstanding. But you know what? I'm still pissed at Dean Hogue over it. <laughs> <laughs> I see, I see Dean every now and then, and we we chuckle about it, and. Uh, <laughs> I told him, I said, you know, we're, we're still pissed over that. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's part of it, right? The old bump and run. Um, yeah. that's, uh, but you know, the, the Justin had, I remember the first year that we ran Justin, you know, Justin got going really good, but there were, he, he had a couple of really bone jarring crashes that weren't his fault that, um, that I, that, that I felt like, it, you know, you get some momentum and then you'd have a crash and then you get some momentum, you have a crash. And, and that's, that's so frustrating when you're trying yeah. to, you know, get up front and win. But, uh, Justin did really, really well, um, in, in that division. And, and, uh, of course you guys were a blast to work with. We had a lot of fun, a lot of good guys working with us. And that's, you know that I think the the limited SBS whatever you want to call it that class really that's what that's about. I mean, obviously, you know you you want to be serious, you want to race to win, but um, that that class and especially back in that time, my God, the competition was just you had fifteen cars at least a night that could win, um, and if you, you had. You had like fifteen cars, ten to fifteen cars a night that didn't qualify. Yeah, that's a, you know it just was amazing that that division when you when you look back and I was I was looking back through some some nineties programs the other day, and and that I mean gosh you think of the names and the people that raced in that class that you know and and then you had you had so many guys that in that era that that ended up running in you know in the supers and guys like Furlong. And Guru and Gutermount and, and Brown, you know, gosh, the guys that made an impact in the supers, um, and you know, out of that division, it it uh, it was some great racing. There were a lot of nights when I thought they put on an even more exciting race than the supers did on the same night, which is pretty, uh, you know, incredible to think about. But you go back and and you know, see some of the video that like Mike Sessler or whoever will put up every once in a while of a limited race from back in the day and. My gosh, man, that was that was pretty cool. That uh, the the back pit in Oswego in that time, um, you had guys like Dean that that were accomplished veterans in you know whether it was supers or modifieds or wherever dirt, um, you know, and then you had guys like Justin that were just starting out, Jeremy Unruh, um, you know, guys that were. You know, they they'd had experience maybe in in little cars, Mike Rods or quarter midgets or whatever, but nothing else to speak of that that were able to to get in there and be competitive because it was still affordable at that point to do that for a lot of people. Yeah. 
So, yeah, yeah I mean, that's um, you've had um, you've had a lot of fun. I mean, and, and, and I think back to what you must have seen growing up at Utica Rome before it became dirt, um, you know, with uh with Richie and and Jerry Cook and Rini Charland and gosh whoever else I can't even remember all the ones that you would know, have run I, up there I, Sunny I, Seaman. I remember going there on a Sunday night Tom and there would be the modified feature would come out and where they came out onto the to the track yeah. is where we exit the track now oh okay and, uh, so you go down there and you'd watch the feature come out and it was you know Jeff Bodine Maynard Troyer Richie Evans Jerry Cook um, every now and then you get Paul Radford, um, especially if Oswego had a, had a modified show yeah. on Saturday night, they'd stay over on Sunday night, Utica, Rome, um, Ronnie Bouchard. I mean, there were so many top drivers yeah. that raced at Utica, Rome that, you know, I don't know. They were the best days of racing, I guess. I, it was it was pretty cool. It really was. Yeah, I think, you know, I tell everybody all the time, you know, it, I mean, everybody has their own era, right? Depends, you know, when you were a kid, because that's kind of how you, I think, how you relate to things. But um, I think the 70s into the early 80s were really the salad days for both the Supers and the Modifieds at that time, and especially in New York, but probably everywhere. Um, you know, and, and uh, just the names. I mean, like you said, you just named off half a dozen guys, and it was funny, a few years ago when they elected uh, Jerry Cook into the NASCAR Hall of Fame, they had him, uh, he and, gosh, I think Terry Labonte was in that class. There were... There were obviously four or five, but they I think it was him and Terry and one other driver. I can't remember who the other one was. Um, they had do a press conference um, in the media center during uh, 600 day on 600 day. And, um, you know, it's funny because you had, you know, two or three of the cup guys. And then there's Jerry Cook sitting there and all the all the media was were talking to all the other guys and nobody was asking Jerry a question. So, you know, I kind of thought, well, gosh, doesn't anybody know who this guy is? So I, I kind of waited a little bit, and then I threw my hand up, and I said, I got a question for Jerry. I said, um, you know, and, and I wanted to kind of explain a little background for the – for because I figured half or more of the media I was sitting with in the media center – really didn't have any clue about Jerry and, and Richie Evans and, and all of that sort of history because they just, they were too young and didn't really uh, grow up with, with modified. So I said, I said, Jerry, I said, um, I grew up in Oswego, New York. And of course, right away, he gets a smile on his face and you can tell that he's, and, and I said, uh, I said, I, I, I was fortunate enough to be a 70s kid watching you and Richie fight it out at, at, at Oswego when you'd come and, and always enjoyed the modifieds. And I said, I've always heard stories about you and Richie because you were both from Rome and, and, and you both were always fighting for championships about you and Richie doing things to sort of deceive each other um, about where you were going to race on a particular night because back then every race was a points race. Um, and, and I said, I, I heard this story that you would, you guys would send a backup car in one direction, trying to make the other one think that it, that's where you were going or that, you know, and, and I said, I wonder how much of that is legend. And if you could tell us how much of that is true. And Jerry started chuckling and he said, Tom, I'm so glad you asked about that. He said, I can tell you 
If you if you heard about that, it's all true. He said, you know, back then we didn't have cell phones, so we, you know, we would it, we would send cars in one direction, and and he said, you know, there'd be nights when we'd jump on the throughway, and you know, somebody we we would find out that a track was was canceled or whatever, and and uh, and so we'd stop at a payphone and uh, you know and 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 call um you know call another track in the area to see if they were running or whatever and he said he said the two of us had cars going all over the place he said but um he said we had so much fun in those days doing that and he kind of you know then elaborated a little more or whatever but it was it was so cool to see the way his face just sort of lit up when when i asked him that question and how much fun that must have been um you know and and so you you know you grew up right outside rome not far from rome and you grew up kind of right in the middle of all that you had guys like sunny seaman and gosh i don't even know who else that uh, were you know vernon vernon center oneida whatever right around you um so utica rome was to modified racing in those days uh, you know, kind of what a swigger was to the supers in the sense that you never knew who was going to show up on a Sunday night to race there. Right. It was a big deal. Yeah, it, definitely. It was fun. And then, uh, you know, from, from, from my experience from Utica, Rome, I had only heard about a when I was a kid, I never went there. And, uh, you know, so when I got old enough that I could drive, I went up to, uh, a swigger and watched a modified race up there. And it was like, after being at Utica, Rome, Oswego was like being at Daytona. You know, oh, I mean, I'm sure. it was, yeah, it was awesome. The size was a of the track, yeah. and a lot faster, and uh, you know, the cars that came, and then I got into you know the supers, and just just the the sheer design of them. You know, the yeah. offset motors and everything else, and I'm like, wow, these things are amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Champagne and Doug Hebron and, you know, Bentley Warren and all those guys that raced up there, Tommy Leeson. Um, oh, Snoopy. You know, you just go, we saw the best of racing. It was it was outstanding then. Yeah, <clears throat> it really was. And, of course, in the 70s, for a super race, you had just about anything you could think of. You get a sprint car, you get uprights, you get rear engines, side yeah. engines, front engines. Um, you know, it was, uh, <clears throat> I still remember, I think it was 74 when Gary Riker, or 73, um, I think it was 74, Gary Riker won the, 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 the modified part of the Port City 150, took the body off and finished in the top five in the super. With the same yep. car. That I mean, was in uh, Turner Brothers. Yeah, car. Turner Brothers. Car. Was, yep. Tom, I was there. It was, uh, I mean, again, you, you know, you tell people about that and they just kind of look at you funny, like, really? You know, I mean, it's the older you get, at least I know for myself, the older I get, the more I realize just how historical, honestly, a lot of that really was. And, and yeah. you, you're, you know, at the time you don't think about it. But, you know, then you go back and you look back at it and it's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, um, you know, because like I said, when you tell that to somebody, you know, like down here in North Carolina, they just like, wow, that's amazing. And then you show them the car and they're like, that was a super. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, it was legal back then. Um, well, you, you well know. the part that was really neat about it was how clever everyone was. Because, yeah. you know, you didn't open a Bicknell catalog and buy this part and right. bolt it in the car. Still I mean, don't. you made everything that yeah. was that was used on the car, and when you look at 
how clever and how how sharp some of these guys were. You just go. It was incredible. Yeah, They're ahead of their time. Yeah, but you know, um, and even with the dirt cars, I mean, I I. You know, I don't want to like be negative toward the 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 dirt modifieds of today, but um, gosh, I I just I look at pictures from from when I was growing up in the seventies, and you look at the cars back then, so much more character and uniqueness back in those days, and the and the you know the different body styles, the gremlins, and you know the coupes and the coaches and and whatever else. Uh, you know, they yes, they were far more crude, of course, but I think I almost look back and think, you know, that was, I mean, if you just kind of eliminate the safety factor for the purpose of the discussion, um, I think that crudeness is what made each car have the character it had. And, and, and uh, the guys that used to cross over on both dirt and pavement, you just don't see a lot of that anymore. Uh, so, yeah, very unique time that we grew up in in the sport. And, and I think that's, you know, obviously that that fueled my passion, and and I, you know, when I do what I do today from a media standpoint, that's what that's sort of the that's the passion I still draw from. I mean, I still want it to be you know that exciting and want it to be, and I want to project that passion. And I'm sure when it comes to you know to to what you're doing at Utica Rome, that's what sort of gave you that foundation that made you want to buy the racetrack because we all know buying a racetrack is not one of the better investments you can make. It has to be fueled by passion because it certainly isn't going to triple your income right you know right. and you know it is fueled by passion and the love of the sport and yep you know the the people people are you know for the most part pretty darn good i've made a lot of friends in racing absolutely yep 100 percent. well we uh we we definitely again have appreciated your time uh, i i know you've got work to do today but we uh you know we we're glad that we were able to catch you uh and, and spend some time with you and appreciate the information and, and just, I, I just hope yeah. i mean obviously i'm down here in north carolina now but i you know my my heart's still up there with with the tracks up there of course uh and um hope that you guys can get open and still salvage a, a decent season and um maybe with a, maybe with a late opening uh maybe the weather will be kinder to you at least and you can uh get more points races in this year hopefully than you have been able to the past few because the weather laid off of you because uh, you had to open late we can only hope that uh um, the gods in 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 uh, that equation would be kind enough to to uh, to to let that happen, right? I got to tell you, Tom, I'm pretty optimistic. Well, I, I agree, and I think that's going to happen. Well, uh, look forward to hearing all about Utica Rome on a weekly basis, obviously, and uh, and look forward to you getting open. And uh, you know, we uh, will definitely stay in touch with you throughout uh, the year. Um, and again, thanks for taking some time for us on the groove today. No problem. Thanks for all you do, Tom. That is Bill Shea. We're going to step aside when we come back. More of Inside Grooves. Stick around. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math or science person. No excuses. No problem. It's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Helping people start an IT career is their thing. 
If you don't absolutely love what you do, go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an information technology professional in as little as four months. Attend classes on campus or live online just two or three times a week to get what you'll need to start your new career. More than just a school, My Computer Career helps you get into the industry by working with hundreds of employers that hire their students. My Computer Career is nationally accredited and financial aid is available for those who qualify, including the GI Bill. Classes start soon, so go take the career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to inside groove and hope that you enjoyed that interview with bill shea we <laughs> now that it's actually a part of the show uh again i apologize to bill and to all of you as well for whatever happened there with the original uh version of this week's show where poor bill got left out but um uh hope you enjoyed that and you know again to have someone be as open as bill was about uh, you know, the real behind the scenes, here's what it is, uh, hopefully taught you a little bit about um, race promotion and how hard it is normally, let alone with, you know, with a situation like the one that we've been dealing with, uh, with the virus and, and, and all of the, the shutdowns and the restrictions and the requirements and, and all of that. Um, so I'm now, we're, we're now going to move into... Um, our our final interview of the day and again if you heard this interview in the last couple of days or if you listen to legal app this week and heard it that's fine you can go ahead and click off and and uh we'll wish you a great weekend and uh, we'll see you on the next show um but if you haven't heard kenny shepherd yet from madeira speedway uh we took the first segment out of monday night's legal app show and I'm inserting it in here, as I did in the previous version of this show that uh, came out on Friday. I'm going to reinsert it here. So if you haven't listened to this week's Inside Groove, you're still going to be able to hear Kenny Shepard without having to go listen to a whole other uh, file or recording of a show. Uh, I'm putting it here as well. So uh, Kenny is a most interesting gentleman. And again, don't click off because you think, well, this doesn't have anything to do with Super Modifieds. This is about promotion, and, and Oswego Speedway is going through all of the same things that these other track promoters are. Um, and Kenny Shepard found what I think is a pretty clever and ingenious solution, totally legal as well, to the situation. So um, we're going to go ahead and listen to Kenny, and then uh, I'll come back with uh, some quick closing thoughts. Um for this week's uh, Inside Groove Part 2, you might say, or uh, Version 2 or Take 2, however you want to think about it. Anyway, I'm shutting up now. Here is me and Kenny. Kenny and I from uh, Kenny and me, whatever, however you want to use the English, I guess it's Kenny and I, from uh, last Monday Night's Lead Lap Show, segment one of that interview right now. First of all, uh, thank you for taking the time to come on. Uh, we appreciate that. and. Uh, tell us the good news that uh, I saw earlier today going around social media because I would have thought there was about a 0% chance that we would see any short track racing in the state of California in 2020. And doggone it, you found a way to make it happen for Madeira. 
Talk about that. How did uh, this come about, and what exactly are the particulars here? Well, it's it's time for some good news, first of all. And anyone that's in the business of grassroots or short track racing, we do it because we're we're definitely optimists. Um, and we just it's never say never, never say die. And even last Monday, the governor had said that um, pretty much, especially in our case, we're on state fairgrounds. So that, that's yeah. another level. So we were we were shut down pretty much for the balance of the 2020 season, it sounded like. But um, it was just time for some good news. And we've been relentless with trying to find a way to make this work. Um, I've, I'm pretty good at communicating with people and working with different politicians. Um, and, and really where we're at, it starts with Central California. I've got a lot of family. My dad's side of the family is from Iowa, southern Iowa. And so I talk about Central California is really a lot like the Midwest. So when you get to where it's a lot different if you're in L.A. or San Francisco, but okay. where we are at in Madera, it's cornfields and farmland a lot here. So the, the county supervisors, what's really happening here, and it's really evolved a lot over the last week, and I think we'll see a lot more over the next two weeks, a lot of the various counties are separating, and they're trying to do what's best for their county and not just, um, you know, what's what's best for L.A. is not what's best for, you know, Madera, California or Chico, California or something like that. So that's really where it began, and with a lot of support from the county supervisors, uh, they were very concerned with a sporting venue. Well, the biggest thing that happened was they opened the golf course. So on the afternoon of last week, we went to work with our legal team, and I would just base, I asked a basic question, how did they open the golf course? What's the, the verbiage? And what we found was they are recreational facilities. We were deemed a sporting venue. So even with no spectators, we were shut down for the rest of the year. So what we began over a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday was the polite negotiation slash arguing that um, without <laughs> spectators in our grandstands, we're no different than a golf course. We're just a recreational facility or a skateboard park or a boat at the lake. So that was the grounds that we laid for it. And from there, I built a five-phase process using um, language that, that the, you know, the political class was very comfortable with. Uh, there was a, you know, the governor's talked about four stages of opening and the various points. So we put a five-stage program together that begins with uh, private practice and then it heads to more open public practice. So many people per square feet, which we're fortunate. We have a giant pit area. And then stage three is racing with no spectators. Stage four would be racing with spectators with six feet of distance between them. Stage five is back to normal operation. So that's that's a brief overview, and it's um, it, it was just relentless, you know, trying to find a way to make it work. Now what's happened, there's multiple facilities that we're, we've got a package that we're sending out to the other racetracks from other things we've done, a legal waiver on, on COVID-19, you know, that competitors would sign like a competition waiver. There's different procedures we're using uh, from a medical screening area coming in that we've worked with, with the county on, and then uh, different things on our proposal, different packages in this package we put together, we're sending out to racetracks all over California right now to try and help them. Wow, that's genius. So really, it came down to language and wording and a little bit of finessing with uh, with that part of it, and it obviously kind of helps to be in the particular situation that you're in where you're slightly less densely populated in your area, I suppose. Um, But, and now you're taking this and actually making it available to other racetracks 
so that they too can benefit from it and maybe uh, and maybe get their doors open and get some racing in as well. I'm I'm very confident this Saturday. I believe we will have seven racetracks functioning with private style testing this Saturday coming up in the state of wow. California. Wow! So, and that that includes a, a dirt track. That includes um, a, a smaller karting track, a couple of other pavement tracks, and a road course. So I think this we've got the door open. Um, and it's certainly the other thing that happens is we, in our case, we had to really gain the confidence of the county supervisors. So sure. to me, the coaching that I give is it's the county supervisors. We have to have their trust and they're going out on a limb because they are definitely going against the wishes of the governor at this point. So well, we've got to give them a lot of confidence. We'll do this. We'll do this right. Well, I was going to ask you about that because obviously that begs the inevitable question uh, this would, I mean, looking at, uh, what governor Newsom is, has been saying and, and, you know, his temperament about all of this, um, I have to ask what, what is his reaction? What is, is there a chance that this all kind of falls apart here? Or, I mean, what are the chances that, uh, he actually ends up blessing this in the end? I mean, talk a little bit about because I've got to believe you're going to get some pushback, right? Yeah, that yeah, that's already taken place. <laughs> it's already in motion. Uh, again, we're on a we're on a state property that's a Madera Speedway yeah. State Fairgrounds. So it's uh, the Madera Speedway sits on on state fairgrounds since 1971. So uh, prior to that, from the 1940s, it was across the street on a private facility oh. as a dirt track, by the way. But um, yeah, that, that process has already started. There's uh, individuals from the state of California uh, that represent the fairgrounds that have communicated. They're very concerned, and, and the state feels that uh, they will need to approve this at this point. Um, not getting too far into it, but there's a legal position there that we are on very strong ground. Good. Um, we were stopped because of health purposes, So, and the governor assigned each uh, county health director as the the authority. That's the the authority to let someone go or not go or make decisions. So now, because we have the approval of the county health director with our phases, um, they've approved our entire proposal. But we're at phase one right now. So if the state were now to reverse, it would be for other purposes. So without getting too far into the legal side of it, right? We um, yeah. they basically would have to shut down golf courses. They would have to shut down. Uh, the lakes that are now opening in various places, it, it would be a mess. And there would be uh, quite quite the grounds for uh, legally to, to pursue it that way. Wow. Uh, I, I That's it's just shocking. But it's uh, how amazing I, I'm I'm kind of blown away by all of this uh, and and what can happen when I mean, obviously, it comes down to situation and knowing the right people and being wise enough to kind of know how to work within the system, uh, which is what you've done. Um, okay. So, um, as best you can tell us, what would you like to see in terms of a time frame? I mean, you mentioned, you know, open for testing and there's several phases. Um, what would you like to see, or what are you working with in terms of when there might be actual racing? at Madeira, uh, what kind of a time frame would you like to see in an optimistic sense if everything works out right? Yeah, I, I think obviously there's a lot of factors there. Sure. But um, uh, what I would like to see and what, you know, 
we would have already been one third of the way through our mad. Well, sure, of course, right. Series. So what <laughs> I would like to see, um, we we have probably the biggest thing right now. We have a tremendous amount of pressure on the industry. You know, if any of us go up to PRI at India in, in December, you know, there's a lot of people there. So we have to get some activity moving to make sure those right. that make their paycheck from the sport, we we need to get this to to move. So. What I would like to see is phase three, stage three, by the middle of June, somewhere along there. Wow. Um, that would be no spectators, two divisions only, um, very strict situation. Basically, it's filmed two divisions, the Junior 5150 Junior Late Model Series and the Nut Up Pro Late Model Series, our two MAD TV series, would be filmed basically almost like it's a set. where. Okay. It's only the competitors at the facility, right. our, our television staff and the grandstands, uh, officials and that's it. So it's film for television. And so, but to get that to happen, there's some other things that have to take place. Uh, number one, we can't have numbers of COVID-19 go the wrong direction. That has right. to, you know, this has to move the right direction. We have to have um, something that's already taken place. I predicted about two weeks ago, the tone in California would shift dramatically on May 15. The reason I picked May 15 and I said this from the beginning, that's two months from the shutdown. There would be a lot of financial pressure. And if there were various counties that weren't impacted by this, there would be a lot of pushback. And at that point, the county, the county, you know, supervisors and those in control, mayors of cities would have a lot of pressure on themselves to separate from the tone of Sacramento. And so, for example, we've we've worked really hard at this. We know the numbers inside now from San Joaquin was San Joaquin County. So it's just below Sacramento. And then we go down to Kern County, down to the grapevine. And then from Central California to the Nevada border, all of the mountain communities, there's 150, or there was on Friday afternoon, there's 153 cases of COVID-19 in the hospital. Governor Newsom um, had 75,000 hospital beds available. They took the fairgrounds in places like ours, put temporary hospital beds and trailers on them, brought the numbers up to 125,000 hospital beds. On Friday, there was roughly 3,400 people in the hospital for COVID-19 in the entire state of California. So wow. part of the conversation has been, you know, we're all very concerned with anyone that gets this. But at the same time, what we were doing was making sure we didn't overrun our hospitals. Sure. And that certainly yeah. has not been the case in California. And in particular, in all of central California, clear over to, through the mountains over to Nevada, there's only 153 hospitalized people as of Friday afternoon. So we're really not in bad shape at all. Wow. So those were, that's a little bit of the framework. Now that can't become something really bad over sure. the next few weeks. We've got to make sure that uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of push and shove, I believe over the next seven or eight days. And I think by May 15, probably somewhere along there, we'll, we'll have a pretty good idea of the trajectory of where we're going, but we would love to see spectatorless racing, crazy phrase coming from a promoter. Yeah. But um, by the middle of June, uh, we plan to do free live streams. We'll, we'll live stream while we're filming the shows. They will go out free. We're selling sponsorship. And so all of our fans anywhere around the country, and we get a lot of military people watching, even overseas, uh, when we do our live streams. So uh, we'll, we'll take a half glass full and turn it into, you know, or a half empty into a half full with sure. even the live streams when we do this. For sure. Uh, if you'll hold on for just a moment, sir, we'd like to uh, step aside. When we come back, we'll have more with Kenny Shepard from uh, Madeira Speedway. And wow, uh, some bombshell stuff happening out there in California and certainly some encouraging news all the way around uh, that uh, maybe we are starting to turn the corner and get past a lot of this. We'll be back. We'll- 
Welcome back to Inside Groove. Hope that you enjoyed that um, segment with Kenny Shepard. And I hope that uh, between Bill Shea and Kenny Shepard that you've gained a lot of insight as to what this is really going to take and how um, really, I, I want to say the word serious, but I guess just really complex and fluid this situation is it really depends what area of the country you're in but for those of us if we kind of focus on super modified country and i can tell you uh the same that that will be true for new york is pretty much true for new england as well uh you know it's going to take some ingenuity like that which kenny shepherd employed in order to uh i think get some things going and and make this season happen unfortunately that's just uh, the way it is unless something changes on the government side of things um it's just going to be very difficult now oswego does have at least the ability to do a really nice pay-per-view as they always have been with asphalt vision um have been for many years anyway um so that that gives them a leg up but um whether you want to take that chance and feel like you could pull off uh, from a cost standpoint, that kind of a situation is a different matter. And those of you sitting here listening to this show thinking, well, of course they could, um, they would easily get X amount of supermodified fans to uh, take the pay-per-view and, and they would make just as much or close to as much as they make on a given week. Well, close to as much is probably not what they want. Um, if you can't make uh, within a razor's edge of the same or, you know, obviously, I don't know that you're necessarily trying to exceed it, though, you know, as business people, um, profit is the name of the game. But I guess uh, my point here is that it's not cut and dried and it's a big risk if Oswego would even want to take that. So uh, John and Eric uh, Teresi have a very big decision to make even once they're allowed to get that far. Um, you know, right now there's not a scenario where a Swiggo has that option, but maybe something that Kenny did can help a Swiggo or, you know, any of the, the, the tracks in the area. So uh, I intend to make sure that I share this with, uh, with Bill. And I know that uh, it'll um, get in front of John and Eric if they want to hear it. And, um, we'll just have to see where it goes, but I, I, I hope that you enjoyed that. I wanted to do something a little different this week in terms of giving you a little background on what it would take to, uh, to get things back going again. It's, it's, uh, like I said, it's a very crazy situation, honestly. Um, so with that being said, the last thing that I would like to accomplish with this show is to, again, give some, um, promotion to the, Extreme Short Track Racing Asphalt Vision broadcast coming up on Sunday, May 31st, the next uh, super modified sim race. Uh, JNS Paving, one of our sponsors, Rich Worth and his staff, um, sponsoring that race along with Blackout Sim Race products. And looking forward to that. That is Sunday, May 31st at 8 p.m. Eastern. And again, uh, Asphalt Vision will be uh, providing that free of charge to those of us who want to um, partake and watch it uh, and enjoy it so looking forward to that at the end of the month mark your calendars for the 31st of may and um, 
I do want to say thank you once again to uh, Jeff West and his group at uh, his big staff at IPC Indie, Indie Performance Composites. If you have not followed them on social media, and the same goes true for all of our sponsors, please, folks, give them a like, give them a follow. They are supporting programming that you like, obviously, if you're listening to this. So uh, please give them a like, give them a follow, send them a message, and just say thanks for sponsoring the show. Um, The uh, folks at IPC Indie, have really sparked up their social media the last couple of weeks. Um, they're on Facebook for real now. Uh, so just look up Indie Performance Composites and you'll find them. And uh, also on Twitter at IPC underscore Indie and uh, on Instagram as well. And then, of course, uh, JNS Paving on Facebook. Uh, I think uh, they have a Facebook page. And I know that, uh, of course, Skip's Fish Fry does, Sean and his staff. Um, So please, again, make sure that you uh, support the sponsors that are supporting your favorite divisions of the sport. With that, going to bring this to a close. Uh, Thank you for um, checking this out, and and I hope that you enjoyed the two interviews we had. Uh, We will have another one. We're going to, I think we're going to just stick with Friday nights for now, just for now, to a as the date of new shows while we're kind of on break if you will uh once we get the racing season started we'll go back to our earlier week but i think we'll stick with fridays for now it just gives me a little bit more time to put the show together and um also a little more time to get the guests that uh, may be um either timely or uh the guests that i i want to get for the week too so uh friday night will be the next inside groove which will be number 44 And we'll have some fun with that when we get to it because uh, definitely some significance to the number 44 at Oswego Speedway for sure. So uh, look forward to that. Hope you all enjoyed this show. Uh, Again, uh, have a great week. Stay safe. And look, it's going to happen eventually. We're going to go back to racing. Um, But uh, we we just want to do it. uh, Obviously, we all need to do it the best way we can. So have a great week, everybody. Thanks to... Uh, Everybody who participated in this show, I'm Tom Baker. So long for now. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit RaceChaserMedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliate, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.